Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Ineash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Oh my god, what a week. Over the weekend, my hard drive on my computer crashed, and the data on it looks to be irretrievable unless I'm willing to spend hundreds of dollars, which I'm not that much. I thank the merciful lords of rationality that this happened after I uploaded all the back episodes that I had been working on updating. If this had happened just four days earlier, I would have flipped the table and quit life entirely. As it is, all I lost was chapter 104, which was almost done. So now I'm looking to crunch through an entire episode in slightly less than one week. I was feeling really upset about this, and then the very next day, my mother called me up to tell me that my dad had cut off his finger in a power saw accident. So, you know, instant perspective. So, here we go, at the beginning of the final arc. But before we begin, you know how at the end of every episode I say you can learn more about rationality if you go to lesswrong.com? That site contains all of Eliezer's writings about rationality, but now you can also get all of them in ebook form, collected together in one giant volume. Eliezer's put out a book called Rationality, From AI to Zombies. You can get it at Amazon.com for $5 or direct from Miri for pay what you want at a minimum price of $0.00. I'm linking to it on the website in this episode's description. If you haven't had a chance to read Eliezer's sequences of blog posts about rationality, I highly recommend it. If you like Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, there is a very good chance you will love these. On to the story. Chapter 104. The Truth. Part 1. Riddles and Answers. June 13th, 1992. It was the last week of school in Hogwarts, and Professor Quirrell was still alive. Barely. The defense professor himself would be in a healer's bed this day, as he'd been for almost the last week. Hogwarts tradition said that exams were given in the first week of June, that exam results were released the second week, and that in the third week there would be the leave-taking feast on Sunday and the Hogwarts Express transporting you to London on Monday. Harry had wondered, a long time ago when he'd first read about that schedule, just what exactly the students did during the rest of the second week of June, since waiting for exam results didn't sound like much, and the answer had surprised him when he'd found out. But now, the second week of June was done as well, and it was Saturday. There was nothing left of the year but the leave-taking feast on the 14th and the Hogwarts Express ride on the 15th. And nothing had been answered. Nothing had been resolved. Hermione's killer hadn't been found. Somehow, Harry had been thinking that, surely, all the truth would come out by the end of the school year, like that was the end of a mystery novel and the mystery's answer had been promised him. Certainly it had to be known by the time the defense professor... died... It couldn't be allowed for Professor Quirrell to die without knowing the answer, without everything being neatly resolved. Not exam grades, certainly not death. It was only truth that finished a story. But unless you bought Draco Malfoy's latest theory that Professor Sprout had been assigning and grading less homework around the time of Hermione being framed for attempted murder, 
thereby proving that Professor Sprout had been spending her time setting it up, the truth remained unfound. And instead, like the world had priorities that were more like other people's way of thinking, the year was going to end with a climactic Quidditch match. In the air above the stadium, distant figures on broomsticks swooped and pirouetted and spun around each other. The red-purplish truncated tetrahedron that was the quaffle was caught, tossed, blocked, and occasionally thrown through floating hoops, accompanied by stadium-rocking cries of triumph or dismay. Blue and green and yellow and red-trimmed robes shouted with the enthusiasm that people felt so easily when no action would be required from them personally. It was the first Quidditch match Harry had attended at Hogwarts, and he'd already decided that it would be the last. Davies has the quaffle! Shouted the amplified voice of Lee Jordan. That's another ten points for Ravenclaw and seven, six, five. Holy smokes, he's done it already! Smack through the center of the central hoop! I've never seen such a winning streak. I'm calling right now for Davies becoming captain next year after Borton steps down from... Lee's voice cut out abruptly, and Professor McGonagall's own amplified voice said... That's the Ravenclaw team's own business, Mr. Jordan. Confine yourself to the match, please. And the Slytherins take possession. Flint hands off the quaffle to the lovely... Mr. Jordan! To the merely acceptable Sharon Viscano, whose hair trails behind her like a comet as she blazes towards the Ravenclaw defense, now with two bludgers in close pursuit. Pusey's on Sharon's tail. What are you doing, Ingleby? She swerves in midair to avoid. Is that the snitch? Go, Cho Chang, go! Higgs is already! What are you two doing? Calm down, Mr. Jordan. How am I supposed to calm down? That was the worst missed play I've ever seen. And the snitch is gone. Maybe gone for good. After being missed that badly, Pusey's heading off towards the goalpost. Ingleby is nowhere near him. In a distant era of history, maybe in another world entirely, Professor Quirrell had undertaken that the House Cup would be awarded to either Slytherin or Ravenclaw. Or possibly, somehow, both for he had promised that three wishes would be granted. So far, it was looking good on two out of three. If you just went by the current score, Hufflepuff was leading the race for the House Cup by something like 500 points, thanks to Hufflepuff students doing their homework and staying out of trouble. It appeared that Professor Snape had been strategically taking quite a lot of points from Hufflepuffs for... uh the last seven years or so. Slytherin House, reigning champion of the last seven years, still had to its advantage a certain generosity of its head of house in handing out points, and this was sufficient to put it neck and neck with Ravenclaw House, home of the academic achievers. Gryffindor was far behind in the last place, as befit the house of nonconformists. Gryffindor had Slytherin's profile when it came to academics and mischief, only without the advantage of Professor Snape. Even Fred and George had barely broken even on the year. Ravenclaw House and Slytherin House both needed a lot of points from somewhere if either wanted to catch up with Hufflepuff in the next two days. And so far as anyone knew, Professor Quirrell hadn't done a single thing leading to the obvious result. It was happening all by itself, now that one lone professor in Hogwarts had taught a class with creative problem-solving. 
The final Quidditch match of the year was between Ravenclaw and Slytherin. Earlier in the year, Gryffindor's initial Quidditch lead had vanished after their new seeker, Emmett Shear, fell off a possibly malfunctioning broomstick during his second game. This had also required some hasty rescheduling of the remaining games. This, the final game of the year, wouldn't end until the snitch was caught. Quidditch scores added directly onto the house points total. And what did you know? Today it seemed that both the Slytherin and Ravenclaw Seekers just could not catch the snitch. The snitch was practically on top of you, you dim-eyed dimwit! Language, Mr. Jordan, or I'll remove you from this game. Though it was a terrible play, I admit. Harry had to admit that Lee Jordan and Professor McGonagall had a wonderful comedic routine, with Jordan as the banana man and Professor McGonagall as the straight woman. Harry now felt a little sorry to have missed it at the earlier Quidditch matches. It was a side of Professor McGonagall he hadn't seen before. A few seats down from where Harry sat in the Hufflepuff section of the Quidditch bleachers, there lurked the hulking form of Cedric Diggory. The Super Hufflepuff had observed the most recent near-air collision between Cho Chang and Terence Higgs with the keen eye of a wizard who was a seeker and a Quidditch captain in his own right. The Ravenclaw seeker is new, Cedric said. But Higgs is in his seventh year. I've played against him. He's better than that. You think it's a strategy? Asked one of the Hufflepuffs sitting next to Cedric. It would make sense if Slytherin needed some extra points to lead for the Quidditch Cup. But Slytherin already has beat us for the title. What are they thinking? They could have won right there. The game had started at 6 o'clock in the afternoon. A typical game would have gone until 7 or so, at which point it would have been time for dinner. June in Scotland meant plenty of daylight. Sunset wasn't until 10. It was at 8 p.m. and 6 minutes, according to Harry's watch, when Slytherin had just scored another 10 points, bringing the score to 170 to 140, when Cedric Diggory leapt up out of his seat and shouted, Those bastards! Yeah! cried the young boy beside him, leaping to his own feet. Who do they think they are scoring points? Not that. They're, They're trying to steal the cup from us. But we're not in the running anymore for the- Not the Quidditch Cup, the House Cup! The word spread with cries of outrage. That was Harry's cue. Harry politely asked a Hufflepuff witch sitting next to him and another Hufflepuff sitting one row above him if they could move aside. Then Harry drew forth from his pouch a huge scroll and unfurled it into a two-meter-tall banner which stuck in place in mid-air. The enchantment had been done courtesy of a sixth-year Ravenclaw who had a reputation for knowing less about Quidditch than Harry did. In huge, glowing purple letters, the sign read, Just by a clock! Two hours, six minutes, forty-seven seconds. Beneath it was a snitch with a blinking red X over it. Second, after second, after second, the time counter incremented. As that counter rose higher, there seemed to be an awful lot of Hufflepuffs who decided that they wanted to sit next to Harry's banner. As the game dragged on past nine, there also seemed to be a lot of Gryffindors. As the sun set and Harry started using Lumos to read his books, 
he'd given up on the actual game a long time ago. There were a noticeable number of Ravenclaws who'd betrayed patriotism for sanity. And Professor Sinestra. And Professor Vector. And, as the stars began to come out, Professor Flitwick. The climactic final Quidditch game of the year dragged on. One of the things Harry hadn't planned on when he decided to do this was that he would still be out here at, Harry glanced at his watch, 11.04 at night. Harry was now reading a sixth-year transfiguration textbook. Or rather, he'd waited the book open, illuminated by a muggle glow stick, while he did one of the exercises. Last week, when the graduating Ravenclaws were discussing their newt scores, Harry had overheard that upper-year transfiguration practice involved several shaping exercises that relied more on control and precise thinking than raw power. And Harry had promptly set out to learn those, whacking himself hard on the forehead for not trying to read all the later-year textbooks earlier. Professor McGonagall had approved Harry doing a shaping exercise that involved controlling the way in which a transfiguring object approached its final form. For example, transfiguring a quill so that the shaft grew out first, then the barbs. Harry was doing an analogous exercise with pencils, growing out the lead first, then surrounding it with wood, and finally having the eraser form on top. As Harry had suspected, focusing his attention and magic into a particular part of the pencil's ongoing transformation had proven similar to the mental discipline used in partial transfiguration, which could indeed have been used to fake the same effect by partially transfiguring only the outer layers of the object. This way was proving relatively easier, though. Harry finished his current pencil and looked up at the Quidditch game, which was, check, still fantastically boring. Lee Jordan was commentating in a tone of dull disgust. Another ten points. Yay, whoopee. And now someone takes possession of the quaffle again. Ask if I care who. Almost nobody remaining in the stands was paying attention either, since everyone who'd remained in the stadium seemed to have discovered a new and more interesting sport. The debate about how to amend the House Cup rules and or Quidditch. The argument had become heated to the point where all the nearby professors were barely keeping order at a level short of open combat. This argument, unfortunately, had considerably more than two factions. Some darned busybodies were proposing sensible-sounding alternatives to eliminating the snitch entirely, and this was threatening to split the vote and sap the momentum for reform. In retrospect, Harry thought, it would have been nice to have Draco unfurl his own banner from the Slytherin side, saying, Snitches are awesome! to set the polarity of the debate. Harry had squinted over at the Slytherin section earlier, but he hadn't been able to spot Draco anywhere in the stands. Severus Snape, who could also have been sympathetic enough to play the villainous opposition, was likewise nowhere to be seen. Mr. Potter? said a voice next to him. Beside Harry's seat was standing a short but older Hufflepuff boy, someone who'd never before come to Harry's attention, holding out a blank parchment envelope with wax dripped on the front. The wax was also blank, without impression. What is it? It's me, with the envelope you gave me. I know you said not to talk to you, but... Then don't talk to me! 
The boy tossed the envelope at Harry and walked away, looking offended. It made Harry wince a little, but it probably hadn't been the wrong decision, considering the temporal issues. Then Harry broke the unsigned wax seal and drew out the envelope's contents. It was parchment instead of the muggle paper that Harry would have expected, but the writing on it was his own handwriting, if done with a quill instead of a pen. The parchment said, Beware the constellation and help the Watcher of Stars. Pass unseen by the Life Eater's Confederates and by the wise and the well-meaning. Six and seven in a square in the place that is prohibited and bloody stupid. Harry took it in at a glance, then folded the paper again and put it back into his cloak with another exhaled sigh. Beware the constellation? Really? Harry would have expected a riddle left by himself, to himself, to have been easier to interpret. Though some parts were obvious enough. Clearly, future Harry had been worried about this paper being intercepted, and while present Harry wouldn't ordinarily have thought of the local Aurors as the ones in league with the Dementors of Azkaban, maybe that had been the best way to say Auror without potentially tipping off anyone else who read the parchment and did their own best to decrypt it. Translating the idiom back out of the parcel tongue he'd used during the incident with Azkaban... That worked, Harry supposed. The note had said that Professor Quirrell needed help, and that whatever was going on needed to pass unnoticed from the Aurors, and from Dumbledore and McGonagall and Flitwick. Since time-turning was involved already, the obvious solution was to leave for the loo, travel back in time, and return to the game right after he'd left. Harry started to rise from his seat, then hesitated. His Hufflepuff side was remarking something about leaving the Auror escorts behind and not telling Professor McGonagall anything, and wondering if his future self was being stupid. Harry unfolded the parchment again and took another glance at the contents. On closer examination, the riddle verse didn't say that Harry couldn't bring anyone along. Draco Malfoy... Was he missing from the Quidditch game because future Harry, hours in the past, had brought Draco with him as backup? But that didn't make sense. There wasn't much marginal improvement in safety from bringing along another first year. Draco Malfoy would certainly have been present, regardless of his personal feelings about Quidditch, to watch Slytherin cinch the House Cup. Had something happened to him? Suddenly, Harry didn't feel as tired anymore. A trickle of adrenaline was starting to rise in Harry. But no, this wouldn't be like the troll. The message had told Harry when to arrive. Harry wouldn't be too late. Not this time. Harry glanced over at where Cedric Diggory was looking back and forth, visibly torn between a clutch of Ravenclaws, arguing that the snitch had to be kept because it was traditional and rules were rules and a pack of Hufflepuffs saying that it wasn't fair for the Seeker to be more important than the other players. Cedric Diggory had been an excellent dueling tutor to Harry and Neville, and Harry had thought they'd established a good relationship. More importantly, a student taking literally all of the electives would have his own time-turner. Maybe Harry could try to get Cedric to go back in time with him? The Super Hufflepuff seemed like a good spare wand to have by your side in any sort of sticky situation. Later and earlier.
Harry's watch now said 11.45, which translated into 6.45 after looping back five hours. It's time, Harry muttered to the empty air and began walking down the third floor corridor above the grand staircase on the right-hand side. The place that is prohibited would ordinarily mean the forbidden forest. That was probably what someone intercepting the message was meant to think. But the Forbidden Forest was huge, and there was more than one distinguishing location inside it. No obvious shelling point at which to rendezvous or find some event that needed intervention. But when you added the bloody stupid modifier, there was only one prohibited place in Hogwarts that fit. And so, Harry set forth on that outlawed path where, if rumor spoke true, all the first-year Gryffindors had gone before. The third-floor corridor on the right-hand side. A mysterious door leading to a series of rooms filled with dangerous and potentially lethal traps that nobody could possibly get through, especially if they were only in their first year. Harry didn't know himself what sort of traps awaited, which, on reflection, meant that the students who'd gone through had been surprisingly scrupulous about not ruining the puzzle for others. Maybe there was a sign down there saying, Don't give it away, just as a favor to me. Sincerely, Headmaster Dumbledore. All Harry knew so far was that the outer door would open to Alohomora, and that the final room contained a magic mirror that would show you your reflection in some situation you found highly appealing, which was apparently the big payoff. The third floor corridor was illuminated by dim blue light that seemed to come from nowhere and the arches were covered with cobwebs, as though the corridor hadn't been used in centuries rather than just the last year. Harry's pouch was loaded with useful muggle things, and useful wizarding things, and everything he'd found that could possibly be a quest item. Harry had asked Professor McGonagall to recommend someone who could expand the pouch's capacity, and she'd just done it herself. Harry had applied the charm he'd learned for battles that made his eyeglasses stick to his face, regardless of how his head moved. Harry had refreshed the transfigurations he was maintaining, both the tiny jewel and the ring on his hand and the other one, in case he was knocked unconscious. He wasn't literally ready for anything, but Harry was as ready as he thought he could be. The five-sided floor tiles creaked beneath Harry's shoes and vanished behind him like the future becoming the past. It was almost 6.49, six and seven in a square. Obvious if you thought in muggle math, otherwise not so much. Just as Harry was about to round another corner, something tickled at the back of his mind, and he heard a soft voice talking. Sensible person. Wait until later, after certain faculty had departed. Harry stopped, then crept forward as lightly as he could, not going around the corner, trying to hear Professor Quirrell's voice better. There came a louder cough, and then the soft voice spoke again from around the corner. But if they were also to depart themselves... At that time, they might think this final game makes for the best distraction left in this year. A predictable distraction. So I looked to see what 
people of significance were not at the game. And I saw the headmaster missing. But for all my magic can tell me, he could be in another realm of existence. I also saw your own absence, so I decided to go where you were. That is what I am doing here. Now, what are you doing here? Harry breathed shallowly and listened. And just how did you know where I was? drawled the voice of Severus Snape so much louder that Harry nearly jumped. A small, coughing <laughs> laugh. Check your wand for trace. Severus said something in magical pseudo-Latin, and then... You dared tamper with my wand? You dared! You are a suspect, just like myself. So your false indignation is wasted, however finely crafted it may be. Now tell me, what are you doing? I am watching this door, and I will ask you to be off from it. On whose authority are you ordering me, my fellow Professor. There was a pause. Then... Why, the headmasters. I was ordered by him to watch this door during the Quidditch match, and as a professor I must obey his whims. I shall have words about it with the Board of Governors later, but for now I am doing as I must. Now be off with you, as the headmaster desires. What? You mean I am to believe? That you abandoned your Slytherins during their most important game of the year and leapt up like a dog at Dumbledore's word? Well, that, I must say, is entirely plausible. Even so, I think it would be wise. If I kept my own watch over you, while you watch this fine door. There was a sound of rustling cloth and a soft thud, as if someone had sat down hard upon the ground, or maybe just fallen. Oh, for the love of Merlin, get up, you! Blah, 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 said the defense professor's zombie mode. Get up! And there was a soft thud. Help the Watcher of Stars. Harry stepped around the corner, though it was possible he'd have done so even without an intertemporal message. Had Professor Snape just kicked Professor Quirrell? That would have been foolhardy if Professor Quirrell had been dead and buried. A round-top door of dark wood was framed within a stone arch set within the dusty marble bricks of Hogwarts. Where a muggle would have set a doorknob, there was only a handle of polished metal. There were no visible locks or visible keyholes. 
Set upon the wall to either side, a pair of torches burned, sending forth an ominous orange glow. Before the door stood the potions master in his customary stained robes. Beside the door, to the left side beneath the orange torch, slumped the form of the defense professor, back against the wall, head staring out at the surroundings. The eye seemed to flicker, as if halfway between awareness and emptiness. What are you doing here, Potter? Going by facial expressions and tone of voice, the potions master was quite angry with Harry, and certainly was not Harry's co-conspirator in councils to which the defense professor had never been invited. I'm not sure, Harry said. He wasn't sure what role he should be playing, and was, in desperation, falling back on simple honesty. I think perhaps I'm supposed to be keeping an eye on the defense professor. The potions master stared at him coldly. Where's your escort, Potter? Students are not to wander these halls alone. Harry's mind was genuinely blank. The game was afoot, and nobody had told him the rules. I'm not sure how to answer that. The cold expression on Professor Snape's face flickered. Perhaps I should call the Aurors. Wait! The potions master's hand hovered about his robes. Why? I... I just think you probably shouldn't call them. In a blur, the potions master's wand was in his hand. Nullus confundio! A black jet darted out and hit Harry, striking in the direction Harry had already started to evade. There followed four other spells, containing words like polyfluous and metamorphous, and for those, Harry politely stood still. After all those spells had failed to produce any effect, Severus Snape was staring at Harry with a dark glitter that now seemed genuine. I suggest that you explain yourself, Potter. I can't explain myself. I don't have the time. Not yet. Harry looked directly into the Potions Master's gaze as he said the words myself and time, widening his own eyes to try to convey the key information and the potions master hesitated. Harry was frantically trying to work out who was pretending to be what. Since Professor Quirrell wasn't in on Dumbledore's conspiracy, Severus was pretending to be the evil potions master of Hogwarts, who'd been sent here by the headmaster, and might or might not have actually been sent here by Dumbledore. But Professor Quirrell either thought, or was pretending to think, that someone needed to keep an eye on Professor Snape and Harry himself had been sent here by future Harry and had no idea why. And why were they all standing outside the headmaster's forbidden door in the first place? And then, from behind where Harry stood, came the growing sound of another set of footsteps, rapid and manifold. Professor Snape stabbed his wand once, creating a burst of darkness that shrouded where the defense professor was lying. Muffliato! The potions master hissed. Mr. Potter, if you must be here, then hide. Put on your invisibility cloak. My duty is to guard this door in case he comes here. And there has been a disturbance meant to draw the headmaster, he thinks. Who? Severus took a long stride forward and snapped his wand against the side of Harry's head. There was a trickling sensation, like an egg had been cracked over him, the feeling of a disillusionment charm, and Harry's hands faded out, followed by the rest of him. The darkness shrouding one side of the wall dissipated like slow mist, 
and there was again visible the huddled form of the defense professor who said nothing. Harry tiptoed away quietly as he could, then turned to watch. The approaching footsteps rounded the corner. End first half of chapter 104 Thank you to the following people. Lee Jordan by Nicholas Gonzalez Younger Hufflepuff Boy by Michael Jimenez Minerva McGonagall, read by Autumn Rachel Dryden Dumbledore, Drake Walker Severus Snape by Brian Jones This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. Thanks for listening, and come back in two weeks for the second half of Chapter 104.